What's up, Florin family? Welcome to the huddle. Uh, welcome back. We're coming to you every Tuesday, 3 p.m. Central. With me, as always, Jose and Daniel Gonzalez from Preferred Flooring up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Got a special guest today, Dana Canaday, which uh, Dana is a controller at our other company, Stewart & Associates, as a so she does a lot with payments and such, which is our topic today. So uh, this is the third part, final part to a three-part series. Um, so you want to be a commercial flooring company or contractor. And uh, I would come out and say the very first thing, uh, this is on getting paid. If you haven't watched previous two episodes, you have got to go watch those. Uh, so go to our YouTube channel, subscribe, uh, you know, throw us a like um, or visit what, one of Preferred's um, social platforms or our social platforms. It's all over. So watching those two is most important to today. So kicking that off, uh, I'm just going to come out and kind of refer back to last week. So we were talking about the G702. G703, really intriguing topics here, but uh, <laughs> they are <laughs> they are the, getting those two documents right is probably the most important thing of you getting paid. Uh, all the other stuff is, um, you know, the lien waivers and such, that varies on contract to contractor, contractor to contractor, uh, whether or not they require those, but Almost every single contract that you get is going to require those AIA documents, again, G702 and G703, which is the schedule of values and your application for payment. So that being said, I'm going to start it off with a question to, um, well, let's just kick it off with our special guest, Dana. Dana, we, um, you've been in construction for how long? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I have worked in the construction industry for about 10 and a half years, um, and I, I started out uh, working um, for a general contractor and actually worked with them for quite a long time and before making the move to Stewart and Associates just um, a few months ago, actually. And also just thank you so much for having me on today. I have listened to your podcast and I think you guys are putting out some really great content and I think it's going to be really helpful to the industry. So thank you for committing to getting that done and, and thanks for having me on. Well, we are very happy to have you um, yeah. in your uh, time frame at a general contractor. So you're, you're really your insight on, on these topics is in, is going to be, you know, really valuable because you've been on both sides of the payor and the the payee on that we're addressing in this podcast, which is your specialty contractors that work for you. And you worked for a really good contractor um, that, uh, you know, has a good reputation, does, builds quality projects, and also, you know, is a good payer. Uh, we realize that that's just not the whole industry and, and, uh, the whole market. So sometimes you got some, you know, challenges out there. And um, 
without getting too specific, could you tell me some of the challenges when you were a GC, what it was like to on getting paid from owners, uh, since that's where it really kind of all starts? Yeah, great, great question. And I would also agree with you that, you know, having that background of submitting the proper paperwork the first time is definitely the most important key to getting paid, whether you're a general contractor or a subcontractor, because um, it's the first step in getting your um, pay application moved in line for payment. But I think um, some other important tips for um, potentially risky um, or you know, not knowing whether or not you're getting paid is knowing who you're doing business with, you know, understanding who your customer is and what um, kind of situation that they might be in. Um, obviously, that's not always possible depending on the size of your company or the kinds of projects that you do. But I definitely think that that can help um, in having a, a better, you know, understanding of, of even like how your pay applications are gonna move through their system. Um, but I think some of the common reasons for non-payment is, you know, funding, um, getting payment from, um, on the GC side, it could be, you know, from the bank or um, if there's other parties involved. So that's like when a when a GC is working for an owner who has a uh, loan to build their building and they do a pay application to the bank, basically, correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. And sometimes it's also through the architect. Um, so it kind of just depends on what the project is. Um, but definitely those things go all the way down the line as as, as subcontractors are intimately familiar with right yeah yeah i think one of the challenges for a sub is we don't get the chance to interview um with the owner or really get intimate details on the owner um so sometimes you know you'll have a project that goes really well we actually have one i won't mention the name of the project but we have a project that went really well um and our payment has been very, very slow or held. And, you know, it's, it's the, the owner. Um, and at the end of the day, we don't have as much opportunity to investigate and know who we're dealing with. So what, what would you say for a sub, uh, which is the seat you sit in now, what do you say, like, does, do you look at because I kind of consider looking at the general contractor, if they're good payers then and they have a good reputation of paying, then they're pretty good at vetting their ownership of who they do work for. Is that is that a good statement or is there more to it? I, I think that definitely contributes, but just what, you know, like I was saying about having that relationship and knowing, knowing who the owners are as a subcontractor, you can do the same thing with the GCs that you're working with in understanding how they determine even what projects they're going to bid or, um, you know, and I, I feel getting into construction, like one of the things that I love is that it's so relational. 
Um, and I, I loved hearing stories when I first started of people being able to do million dollar projects on a handshake, you know, and we just don't live in the day and age where you can really do that anymore. But it's really just about like honoring your word and um, knowing who you're doing business with, even if that's the GC. I think that helps in, you know, all, all of the whole process, you know. Daniel and Jose, how do you guys go about, do you guys, uh, you know, we've all got the contracts that say uh, things like uh, reference the master contract between the owner and the, and the company supersedes this contract in certain ways and certain things. Do you guys dig into that and try to get to know who the owner is? Or do you, when you get a contract that references the general contractor's uh, contract with the owner? I think the stuff that we've been bidding, we've, it's a lot of hospital work and, and, you know, the companies around here, we actually know who the owner is. It's not like just some random person or something like that, but I don't, I don't think we've gotten to where it says, you know, get with that contract. And then the one that we did get it that said, you know, refer to the, to that contract they did include it and we did have to skim through that just to make sure yeah you know i was going to say that um depending on you know the size of the you know subcontracting company that you are it may not always be feasible to dig into all of those details you know what i'm saying Correct. like if you have a lot of jobs that you have to like read through you know 120 pages of contract like I mean that's overwhelming and intimidating you know and, and honestly it's not even always reasonable that you can do that you know it kind of depends well, on how your company fortunately right? um fortunately to to for, for me anyway and, and, and this is my view is a lot of a lot of what's in that contract is open to uh, to interpretation right like if if that master contract specifically says the general contractor and I try to exclude anything that doesn't pertain to flooring and I leave that to the general contractor, like it says general contract, it doesn't say specifically for the flooring contractor. So I, I try to, I, I try to use that. Does it, is it going to hold any weight? I don't, I don't know, but it, it's not specified for me to, to abide by. So I try to eliminate that from, from my portion as well when going through and trying to, figure out what terms i think that's where you know some of this comes back to paul's point last time when he was talking about make sure that there's a spec in there telling you exactly what you need to do and what needs to be provided yeah the scope that scope uh that outline of the scope yeah. is like imperative if you can get it in your contract um it helps a lot but you know i think what the reason we're starting here is because payment really depends um, at its the very first level is doing business with people who pay. And mm -hmm. um, sometimes when you're doing hard bid work and you don't know who the GC is going to be because it's a full hard bid and all the GCs are bidding it, all the subs are bidding it, and you end up with that job, um, you know, you don't always have the opportunity to select who you're working with. But when you do... Right. And if you're going to bid the the hard bid stuff, that's a risk you got to take. But when you're bidding negotiated stuff, like I know that you guys do 
probably 90% negotiated at preferred. Uh, we do a really fair amount of our work is negotiated as well. That's better, obviously, because you get to know who you're dealing with from the beginning. Um, and you seem, and it's more relational, which we had a whole podcast on building relationships with your GCs and your, your, um, your client in general, but it all starts with having a, a good relationship and, and, uh, knowing the company that you're working with and then kind of getting the flow or understanding their flow of payment and, and what they request. And you still won't always get it right. Uh, but you know, a lot of those things, um, a lot of the real difficult projects that we have ran across are the hard bid jobs. Just about every one that I can think of that's not all of them, but uh, that are harder to collect on, it's the hard bid job, the open yeah. bid market well, projects. And honestly, I would I would challenge business owners to even consider, you know, are you even profitable and successful in those other jobs that it's worth it to continue doing a lot of work that way because yeah. you know when you have a relationship I mean having the benefit of doing negotiated work is a is a great privilege and a testament really to the kind of work that you do that someone trusts you well enough to to give you that work yep yeah and um you know I'm going to go back a couple of years too to where we weren't necessarily in the best of situations when we were trying to, you know, spread our wings a little bit in the sales. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have relationships with, with some of the local contractors and asking them like, hey, you're asking me to bid on this work, right? I know it's not negotiating. You have to get X amount of bids. What if I ask for 50% up, up front if, if I'm awarded the contract? Like, well, we don't really do that. I was like, well, I'm not really in a position to be able to afford, you know, to float out, you know, $50,000 here and 30 there, 100 here. We're not, you know, and like, we're not in that position yet. And, you know, all they would say was, we'll work with you on it if you get awarded. And then that kind of solidified that if they, we did get awarded, we got awarded the smaller jobs. So that way it's easier for them to say, it's not over X dollar amount. So we're, we're not going to do 50% or we can't. But we did we did try to work our jelly on that for a little while. And it did work. Were you, success, were you successful with that in some regards, you guys? Uh, the yes. ones that we started doing that with was still like every time a contract comes through, they're like, if you need a bill for anything, let me know. Yeah, and honestly, I would also encourage that. And Paul and I have kind of talked about that recently, but, you know, it's, I would definitely encourage because the general contractors that you do have those really good relationships, obviously they want to keep you happy as well. And, you know, unless you're having those relationship kind of conversations so that they are understanding where you're coming from and really set everybody up for the best possible success, right? Like we can meet these deadlines. If we can have these kinds of things, then it just, it makes everything. It, it made it a lot easier for us. And um, I don't know if you guys can hear me right now, but it was a little glitchy for a second. We can hear you. Um, being a smaller company and starting from the labor only, and, and I was not shy, right? Like I, everything on the table, everything on the table. Like 
you guys, I wanna to get to a point where I can afford to float this for any project that we're awarded with you guys. However, in order for me to get to that platform, I need to, I need to be transparent. And I need to say, this is how, this is the route that we can take to get to that point. So that way we're not overextending our finances and loans and, and trying to you know leverage funds that aren't necessarily ours. You know, so we, and then with that, going that route, and then some companies from out of state contacting us and wanting us to bid, I'm like, well, I don't know you guys. So because we don't have a relationship, we do require 50% down payment of the overall bid until we have an established relationship. There's no if, ands, or buts. And they either said, sorry, we don't want to work with you, or they said, okay, no problem. Um, hey, Dana, you're on mute. Jose, I think you brought up a really great point and, you know, putting it all on the table there, there's this risk involved with being vulnerable with someone, right? I mean, that's really in any kind of relationship that you have in your life, but in business, you know, to be vulnerable like that, you run the risk of them saying like, no, we don't want to work with you or even making it hard for you to do business because maybe they're going to join check all of your stuff or things like that. But the thing is, is that when you're vulnerable, it builds trust with people. And so if you're dealing with the right people, then they're going to learn that they can trust you because you've been honest with them about where you're at. And um, I, I think those are great ways to um, develop relationships with your um, GCs or owners or whoever you're working with. Yeah, sometimes it's when that very first, uh, at the very beginning, when you're dealing with a new contractor, um, you know, back in, when you're, if you're doing smaller, a smaller project with a new contractor, it's one thing, but you know, like a big hospital or something with a new contractor, um, I wonder how that would go over to, uh, you know, ask, and this is honest question I, I want you know for example we have a 1.3 or four five million dollar project that we just uh bid and we were interviewed for and it looks like we're you know on the front we're we're in the front of the race at the moment <clears throat> what would it do to say hey we really need you know 50 percent of the material cost or something like that paid uh you know, within, even if you gave some different terms, like net 30, not pay when paid, but net 30 type stuff. Right. Uh, wonder how that would go over with those bigger contracts. So, um, you know, what led, led me to, the, to that is um, when the conversation came up about the finances and if we can uh, afford it and or from me saying that I can't afford to do that, is they were like, well, then if you can't afford it, then why are you trying to do it? And I said, I said, okay, so if you're saying that to me, so it's on the same hand. If you're asking me to bid on this and you can't afford to put 50% down, why do I want to come and work for you? You know, like- That's real, that's good, dude. I like yeah. that. You're, you're telling me that I got to gamble, but you're not you're not willing to do it either, right? So you get, meet me in the middle, you know, like it's the same thing, it's the trust thing. Bigger businesses, yeah. they just have a lot more literature, paperwork, they have a bigger team. Um, but at, at the end, it all gets filtered down to the same values, same same understanding, same principles. That's exactly right. Good point. Hey, Daniel. So I got a question for you. Uh, I know you do a lot of the office work and stuff, but you know, I think the next point is 
I'll make a statement and then follow that up with a question on how you maybe do a collection call at uh, preferred when you when you need to call and collect. But understanding the contract terms uh, for our audience is kind of the next step. Like you really have to understand what those terms are for your contract. If it's pay when paid and understanding the pay schedule from the owner to the contractor as best as you can is kind of your, you know, your next step after you've done your, uh, you know, your AIA documents, your application for payments correctly, then it's like understanding what to expect from them. And, uh, and then you got to call and, and follow up on getting paid sometimes. So I was curious on, uh, from your perspective and what you guys do there preferred, Daniel, so, what's, what's, I think what's we've been lucky. Like? We've been lucky to not have to deal with any of that to the point where even when we were, you know, waiting on retainage, the construction company was very upfront with us and was like, I mean, we already got most of the payment. Then it's like, Hey, the owner isn't giving us the remainder of this check. And we're like almost every other day they were contacting us saying that they were contacting the owner but as far as like not not receiving payment uh we haven't run into that on a contract basis a lot of the payment stuff that we do have issues with is for other flooring contractors as a subcontractor or um ho actual homeowners like that's why i i'm not a big fan of dealing with the residential market yeah but um well the the residential is a whole new a whole right. new thing but you always get 50 percent on that don't you up front yeah yes. i don't yes. do enough we do i don't know five to maybe on a busy residential year 10 projects 10 residential projects but we always try to we always get payment up front <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, so. yeah, yeah, I would advise that. And and, and just for everyone listening too, I, I, I want to make sure that this gets said too, that the the fifty percent that that down payment is because of material um, and labor. It's not just a labor only project; it's the full scope. Um, so we're not yeah. like accepting a large labor only job and and just asking for money of for work that we haven't completed. No, it's to it's to cover our 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 butts on the material and the purchase of and securing it and ensuring that. Well, and in construction, you can't actually um, claim revenue that you haven't earned yet. So, but you can make those negotiations for materials up front. And what a great thing is that, you know, to be able to at least secure what you need to, to do your project, even if it's down the road. Sorry, I didn't mean yeah, to go back those... the left field on that. No, but materials, your biggest, you know, obviously your first expense and your often your biggest expense on a project. Mm -hmm. So trying to cover those costs, which we did get into in a previous episode about, you know, having your materials land. So you get your bill from your vendor close to the time when you're able to then bill your contractor. Right. Uh, those are kind of keys to try to help with cash flow, but uh, so you don't you don't have a lot of uh, connect collection calls. Uh, I no, would... I was actually going to ask you what it, what is your guys's process so we can get uh, a glimpse into that. Well, yeah. I I had I have one trick that that um, 
<laughs> outside of what Dana does, and she does a great job. She's really helped us. Um, frankly, we're not the best collectors in the in the in the business. Uh, we we are continually looking on how to get better. Um, Dana has been doing a really good job on that. Uh, one one thing that I always do if I'm told that multiple times that they have not been paid by the owner is let me I would like to call the owner or I'd like to call the architect and talk to them and make sure that you know see if there's anything that I can help with uh, even if they're not saying it's my scope that's causing the owner to hold it I'm just saying that I'll offer hey how about I call the architect and put a little pressure on and let them know that we're looking for payment or the owner. Um, and uh, maybe that'll help you. A handful of times that I've gotten a check within a couple of days from that. And I didn't even have to call. Um, now that's not the best, um, best feeling because it feels like they probably had the money and they were holding it for some reason. Uh, your mind can wander on that one, but um, the, 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 the fact is, is that, you know, I didn't have to call the architect or the owner and payment was released and it's, um, and, and when it is something, I do call the owner and I have, um, in fact, I've got one particular that I'm got on my mind right now that I'm got to call the owner and talk to him and, and uh, so offering to call the owner or architect a, if they have been paid, the general contractor has been paid for your portion of work. They don't want, and they are just not paying you because they're some other reason, then they really don't want you to call the architect and owner and find out that they've been paid for your scope of work. Because then by law, they have to pay you within seven days if they've been paid, uh, at least in Kansas, it's seven days. I'm sure that varies by area, but law of Kansas is seven days after receipt of payment from owner, the contractor has to pay their subs and vendors. So uh, they certainly don't want you to find that out. And those are the instances where it feels like they probably had already been paid. Uh, so anyway, that's that's one of the things uh, we do. We have some other collection processes. Dana can kind of give you some high level stuff there that we one, I, I know one of the biggest things that we've ran across is we didn't get your application for payment. We've, we've had that. So Dana's put in some new processes and, and uh, worked with some of our other uh, leadership on, on that. But Dana, you want to speak to some of that? Yeah, sure. I think that um, probably the most important thing about getting paid is having good communication. And um, that really involves knowing who you should be talking to about that. And that can vary greatly by, you know, company, job, whatever, because sometimes you have to talk with someone in accounting, or sometimes it's important to talk with the project manager, or sometimes they have project engineers or uh, project accountants who know that information and knowing who the right person to communicate with is um really important part of you know keeping that moving along um and i do think that having a system and making a point to follow up is helpful in keeping cash coming along and um identifying errors early in the process and that really just all starts with communication 
um, phone calls, emails, whatever honestly is successful, um, depending on who you're dealing with. So that that leads us to um, the the one of the final kind of I wouldn't call it last resort, but pretty close is maintaining your lien rights on projects. And um, so I'll tell you what the lien rights are here in Kansas is you have to file a lien on the project uh, within 90 days of the last time you performed work on the project. Um, it doesn't have to be a significant amount. It can be punch list, but it's got to be 90 days within the last time that you were on the project working. Um, so that's the lien right. So for the audience, like you want to maintain those. Um, we don't lean as much as uh, a lot of companies. I, I've got a friend who owns a painting company that does a lot of the same projects as I do. And they get paid a lot better than we do. And uh, that was really revealing to me. And the fact is, is they'll go file lean like have 45 days. They're they're. They're sending a letter and saying, hey, we're going to file a lien if we don't get paid. Um, Do you think that everybody in the audience even understands what that means? Um, on a lien? Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know. Do I, take a, explain what a, explain that part of it. Uh, Dana, yeah, just I was case. just wondering because I, I, like I said, I'm not like intimately familiar with who your audience is, but I, I did wonder, you know, if people who might be watching even knew what that meant. But so really a lien is just a claim against property that can be used as collateral to repay a debt. And so a, an example of something that a lot of people could be familiar with is like a car payment. So if you have a car payment, then a bank has a lien on your vehicle so that if anything happens to that vehicle that the bank is going to get their portion. And so you can apply that then bigger. So whenever as a subcontractor, you're buying materials, you're paying your employees to go and perform work on a, a job, then you have a claim at that real property that is, you know, being built. Um, and so it, it that's that's the only like recourse you have as a subcontractor or a supplier to make sure that you're getting paid is to file those liens and um definitely it depends on jurisdiction and the kind of work that you do but it is important to know what those rights are because you you could very easily um diminish your rights or even not have any before them all you even the, get started without knowing you know what you're getting involved in yeah you could lose them all together uh one note is federal government you cannot lean uh those okay. projects <laughs> so you know uh, playing off the way dana just said some jobs you can't lean and that's the federal government now uh, obviously they have plenty of money if they need it they'll print some more so yeah, <laughs> it's pretty pretty easy to 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 know who you're dealing with in that case. Um, I would say one more um, add on to your uh, lean, um, or maybe just to build on that a bit. So the idea is if a when a bank transfers title ownership of a building over, 
uh, and the they can't close out a loan, for example, on a building if there's a current lien on it. So that's why you want to lien early uh, if you are going to lien a project. Is the fact is is that that bank can't they can't close out the note to on a on a project that they have funded um, if there's current mechanic liens on them. Uh, also, the say for example, the owner is not um, this is a not the this is a worse scenario where the owner owns the building, didn't take out a loan for the remodel. Maybe he's paying cash or has investors to do it. So if you lien his property, it's he and he's going to be there anyway. There's nothing. There's no trigger to make your lien worth something. It only comes into effect if he tries to sell that property. So it could. You're still protecting yourself, but it could be years down the road before you get the money if he, if ever. Uh, if you're dealing with somebody really right, uh, and a, and a lien is something that you have to renew, right? You have to renew the lien every year or something like that. Yeah, sometimes they'll bond around it or or do other things, but um, yeah, it, it's definitely something that you kind of continue at until you get what you want. And obviously, saying that you know you can you can put out some money. <laughs> to get mm -hmm. money you know so it has to be worth it you have to know what what you're in it for so no um i do know that that here in michigan there's like windows of opportunity right like uh you got to submit a notice to lead within certain time parameters and same uh there as well well it's a little bit different on so if you're going to file a lien you gotta it depends on the uh property really all residential, you have to notify the owner. So, for example, if you're doing work for a builder, yeah. you have to notify the owner that there is uh, that you have an intent to lien that property. Um, commercially, you don't always have to do it, but uh, a notice a notice of intent to lien being sent to know. to the GC and to the owner, and if there's an architect, an architect then um that's kind of your first course you don't just run out and file a lien I, I would <laughs> i would encourage everybody to first file a notice of intent to lien and name everybody on it and then once you've done that then and you can do that in-house like you can save the attorney's fees for that part i mean not legal advice please always talk to your attorney but i mean in most regards you can you can do your, you can send that notice of intent to lean yourself. Um, it's something that frankly, we probably need to be a, a lot better at, but at the end of the day, filing that first kind of puts everybody on notice that a, a lot of times the owner doesn't know that you have not been paid or that the subs not been taken care of. And it's the GC uh, that, that, and then they put pressure on the GC and, and make them pay you. Uh, B is, they have a right to know what's going on in the background. And if they're, if they're, cause you know, an owner of a big building, they don't know all the subs intimately for sure. Sometimes they may not even know who you are. Their, their contract is with the general contractor. And so they're depending on them to vet the subs correctly and, and make sure they have a good quality subgroup. Um, but the owner does, you know, as a, a course of respect, uh, does probably need to, you know, best best practice would be to send that notice of intent. So that's kind of the way we do it. Um, we're 
and again, this is always changing. Another thing that I can say is that we've done business with certain companies for 10, 15 years, and then they get changed, they change their accounting system or their they have some turnover in their accounting department, and all of a sudden they're just uh, it's from a payer's or a paying standpoint, they're told it's like dealing with a total different company. Um, so yeah, just kind of having your head on a swivel. Um, knowing your knowing your client, all the stuff we've talked about already, um, and then to kick it back, do do you guys ever get that um, that excuse that they didn't get your payout? Do you guys not get that? <laughs> yeah. It didn't seem like it. And we we get it enough that it's like so yeah, we're talking about like since I handle all the pay apps, I'm usually. I'm sending them and then I'm like, please reply. So I know you got this. And then if they don't reply, that's when I'm like making sure that they got it. It's the invoices where people act like they don't get, even though, uh, since it'll say right on there, open this day at this time, open this day at this time. Yeah, we didn't get it. We only opened it 27 times. <laughs> yeah. I, I QuickBooks is tough from a job costing standpoint, but some of those things are sure freaking handy. Knowing when they opened your your uh, your your pay app, or because a lot of uh, times an opened email doesn't mean they read your pay app, and I've had that excuse like, yeah, I seen the email, but the pay app uh, I didn't know it wasn't attached, app, so I didn't. Yeah, or it wasn't attached, or some something, right? Um, so yeah, we've talked about like that follow-up that you just spoke of, Daniel, I think is one of the things we're getting better at is like we send out our billings, our pay apps, and then we follow up. Hey, is there any problem with this? Do you see any issues? Did you receive it okay? That kind of thing. Um, and then there's that balance of like not wanting to totally exasperate your client with so much of it. But at the end of the day, we got to get paid for what we do. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, we spend a lot of money no, to get a, other people's jobs done. I, I have a question, and this, I, I don't know if this even applies in a commercial, but um, we've done work with uh, real estate agents before, and purchase material, done the work, and said that uh, we were fine waiting until property uh, was closed on for us to receive a check from the title company. Does that happen in commercial? as well i mean we've never had any commercials that's why i'm asking and then how did you guys approach that if it does not to my knowledge not at not that particular arrangement um nothing comes to mind where you're waiting for them to close on the building or what have you although i mean in, in essence that's kind of what re retainage ends up being it seems like is you know once it's closed on then you get that final money but uh, from an overall project standpoint, uh, I could see where developers or big, big um, residential builders would love to have that kind of a situation where they can build their spec homes and you carry the receivable until they sell that spec home and then you get paid. Uh, I hope the profit's there for you right. yeah, if we, you're we doing didn't, those types of deals. Yeah, we didn't. Uh, we didn't do. We haven't done any of that unless there was a contract in place already and we were just waiting for the turnover. So yeah. um, 
we did have some weird scenarios too, though, like where one of uh, uh, my buddy actually passed away before uh, an invoice was satisfied. And that was the contract. The contract transferred over to the homeowner. And it was, it was, it was a long journey, but we made it through it and got it. Hmm. Yeah, that's unique. You can get in a ton of different scenarios from a residential and all those types of deals. Uh, you know, a, a lot of these uh, big builders in the residential world, I'm sure, operate some level of of not, you know, you're not going to get 50% down and those kinds of things. It operates maybe a little more like a commercial job, but in commercial, the key is everything we've talked about in this podcast and the two previous is getting your pay apps in, understanding your contracts, and then, you know, maintaining your lien rights and follow-up. Again, I, I probably say this on 90% of our podcasts, but it's, it really, a lot of it boils down to relationships and um, good or bad. Sometimes they can get hurt in collections. So that's, that's one um, line to navigate you know. All right. Well, hey, uh, we're we're about 20 minutes from an hour, and I feel like we've pretty much covered all the <laughs> pertinent information here. Uh, so we might actually finish the podcast a little early today. Right. You guys have some. That's why I started laughing. Inputs. Yeah. yeah. So when uh, our local builders exchange teams up with different lawyers um in the area and they they'll put on different like uh webinars and stuff and it's i think it's at no cost but i'm not sure since we're members or it might be a members only thing but like every quarter i think they do something on liens and it's like i've i've attended a couple of them and you learn something new every time and it's since it's so localized, it's everything that you have to be following in this area and what they have seen, you know, in their cases that if you don't do this, you're probably not going to win when, if it goes to court. So, I mean, that's, that's an option to look into. It's not, is not, that through your chain? Is that through the chamber? No, it's uh the builders exchange. Okay. So it'd be like our builders association, maybe there's I was just going to say, there's actually a lot of different kinds of organizations who put on events like that. And some of them are members only, but when, and sometimes when they're not, you do have to pay a little bit extra to attend. But um, it's also interesting to note that if, you know, you can go to a, an event put on maybe by the AGC, which is, you know, worldwide, and they might give a certain perspective or, um, in my previous job, I was a member of CFMA, which is for construction financial management. And so, you know, they might present it in a way. So you might be getting different bits and pieces, depending on who's offering the content. And that could be really helpful as well in um, knowing and understanding your, your lien rights or pay applications and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah the AGC is a really, really good one. Have you, are you guys a member of the AGC up there? Uh, have you guys ever went to any of their stuff, Daniel? No. They're, they're pretty good. Um, even if you sit in on their general contract there, they have some certain meetings that anybody can go to 
Um, at one point, there was a pretty decent um, subcontractor community for the specialty contractors of the AGC in Wichita that kind of uh, fell apart. But when it was pretty live, and I don't know, maybe I should kickstart that thing back up, but the when it was around, it was nice to have the different trades, whether electricians and painters, drywallers and, and roofers and steel erectors all in the same building talking about what matters to specialty contractors to us to us subs and um, I wish it was a stronger for, uh, portion of the AGC the the specialty contractor there they did a really good job of being on our side when it was our meeting um, but for the most part obviously it's the association of general contractors so um, it is mainly for general contractors. Um, but at the end of the day, ma'am, if you, you might check at that um, in your area and see if the specialty contractors have a, a good um, meetup. It was like a monthly meetup or something like that, if I remember right. Now, I used to go to them pretty often. Uh, then the, the specialty contractor that was uh, doing that ended up going out of business, honestly. So uh, I don't think anybody's picked that that piece back up here. Do you know of anybody, Dana, that's running the specialty um, contractor side here? Not that I know of, and I've never been personally very involved with the AGC, but what I can tell you from what experience that I have had is that they're very pro-industry. So just like you said, like they're really, I mean, may they may not have something for specialty subcontractors in your area, but even if they don't, you can rest assured that the AGC was working on behalf of the industry. They're, they're lobbying for um, good uh, uh, help for the industry as a whole, I believe. Yeah. So we, yeah, I think that's, we haven't been part of that um, or been into any other events or anything, but we have been to a few events for um, the ABC, the associated yeah. builders and contractors. So, mm -hmm. I mean, do we have a chapter of the ABC here? We do. So yeah, look again, into that. again, really good information. Um, the stuff that we've been to, it's, you know, they do a presentation and then they break everyone out into some workshops where you pick and choose exactly what you want to know more about. And they have experts there and it's, it's actually pretty sweet. We should probably get to more of those, but I, I believe they only do it once a year. Yeah, yeah. And don't forget, like that also. Don't forget, we do have access uh, to some of that information and and some of the legal documents through the FCICA as well. Um, and that's just a matter of digging in and and contacting the right people. But that's um, uh, it's more. I don't want to say generic, right? But it's more generalized for our industry specific. But um, these other associations, you'll definitely get a a, a different perspective um, uh, on on how to approach. Uh, any anything legally or or any of the other general contractors you do work with yeah it's a good point if you are considering and if you've watched and consumed this series i'm 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 assuming that you're at least thinking about starting your own uh you know material and labor providing the whole kind of you know full service flooring company um getting involved with the fcica would be is is really a good idea um, the other organizations are all great. 
Don't get me wrong, and there's plenty of them to be a part of, but the FCICA has done a really good job with the business of the flooring business. Like they've they've got a lot of of uh, good high quality information. Their SIM program does really well at training your project managers or your installation managers. Um, in fact, we're trying to assemble one in Kansas City for um, to have uh, a three days to sim there. So, uh, all that being said, getting involved with your local, you know, or I should say your local, but your industry specific uh, organization and associations uh, for flooring FCICA is is really good. And it, it's all right. Great. We we're not only talking. Usually we're talking about the training organizations just for, you know, installing and stuff, but there's plenty more out there for the business knowledge and stuff too. And that you just have to pick and choose. Uh, I mean, go to some meetings, go to some of their free events and see who you like. See, well, see what we, for you. we tout it on, on the podcast all the time, like get to convention, the different conventions, yeah. different shows and SCICA, there is one coming up in September. At the end of September, they're joining forces with uh, CFI, and it's down in Orlando. Did I get that right? Orlando? Yep. Rose, yep. Rose and Shingle Creek in Orlando yep. will be there um, uh, exhibiting as well as they're on, uh, you know, learning more. Uh, it's a great opportunity if, if you're watching this. Uh, I cannot encourage you enough to get to that because – that is like a training entity and a kind of a flooring business association that came together and did is doing one show and and that should create a, a nice synergy uh, and really good high quality information. So make it to make it to that show and like like Daniel said, I mean get to FCICA has events about uh, is it two or three times a year, uh, twice. At least twice, mid 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 year, and then the end of the year. So, look into that. Um, yeah. So, any other little bits of nuggets that we can give the audience before we uh, close it up for the day? Yes, the next regional competition for installer of the year is September fifteenth and sixteenth in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So, we got to get more people signed up for this and. You know, our, our trade is filled with people that say they're the best. Now let's uh put your money where your mouth is. Let's go show everyone. Yeah, so all you guys what, what, out what there. Is there, uh, yeah. is there one in Everybody Texas? out there that's, uh, that's in Indiana, he said. This one is in Indiana, and there, there may be one more in Texas before uh, surfaces. Okay. So just as a... Quick overview. If anybody doesn't know what Daniel's talking about, every year there's an installer of the year for carpet, hardwood. Uh, I think that's usually some uh, mix of LVP and cheap vinyl, but resilient. Yep. Um, and then uh, do they do ceramic? They don't do ceramic, oh, they, do they? they? They've changed it. So they're only doing two categories this year. They're doing carpet and LVP. So those are your two right. categories. I know last year they did wood and carpet. Yeah. And then and then the previous year they did they did have like a, a carpet, resilient, and ceramic, I believe, one year. That was in but 2020. Then there was a there was a lot there was a lot going on. 
Um, yeah. And I know that LVP sounds easy, but trust me, when you see the <laughs> patterns and the crap that is laid out, uh, Mr. Uh, guy who lays big rooms of LVP and says it's so easy, this is not the same thing. I can tell you that. But put your skills to test. Uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. When is it again, Daniel? September 15th and 16th. That's a Friday, Saturday. And the best way to enter that show is through CFI's website, or what's the uh, what's the easiest way? Do you know? That is a good question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was trying to look at that earlier. I, I can tell you at least you can call CFI certified yeah. wireless dollars, and 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 uh, they'll give you the information. But I believe there was some info possibly either on the WFCA or the F or CFI's website. Right, I'm uh, sure, because they're, they're, it's a partnership right now, so I'm sure that you can find it on either of their websites. Or sweet. it might even be on, on uh, the International Surface Event website. Yeah, yeah so you know what? That's probably a good place to look. Once you've done the, the regional and you win your regional, you can make it to uh services in vegas and they actually if i remember right they pay for your trip out there uh, yep, they to, pay to they pay for your plane ticket they pay for your hotel stay they give you a couple food vouchers that get you like a one peanut and a water if you're lucky because that's <laughs> that's how vegas is <laughs> mm, but you, you, you forgot to you forgot to tell them you yeah. got to go through a two-hour tour of uh, some timeshare to get that peanut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, All right. Uh, yeah, make it. So if you're a good installer and you want to test yourself, get to get to Fort Wayne. Give it a shot. Um, they, I can tell you I've been to multiple of the shows. In fact, Crystal Sims, who's Daniel and Jose's uh, sister, has competed in that and she did very very well it was a blast to uh to be there that it's a it's a fun um it's it's a really fun way to prove your skill set so um yeah so yeah. encourage everybody to make it to the uh cfi fcica show at the end of september and also uh get out and get involved and try to Try to test your skills and see how good of an installer you are. See if you can make it to Vegas. So with that, I am going to yeah. close the podcast down. Everybody, thank you for joining me. Jose and Daniel, as always, Dana, thank you uh, for joining us yep. today. Really appreciate your input and uh, some of your uh, uh, insights into the other side of the industry, you know, the GC side. So I hope everybody got a lot of value out of uh, this series and understanding we're not trying to scare you from going in and, and doing it. Um, we just want you to be prepared and understand that it's a, it's a lot more than just, you know, printing off an invoice off of uh, your accounting system and shooting it to your customer when you're finished with the job. Or in some cases, uh, handwriting an invoice or just turning in a work <laughs> order that the, that the shop gives you saying, here, here's the invoice. It's, it's not all that easy. Yeah. There's a lot more involved to get your money and we wanted you to be prepared to choose to join, um, you know, the, the commercial flooring world and, and um, start employing people and buying materials and bidding on work. Uh, it's rewarding, but it's a tough business. So we wanted to kind of give you the info up front 
And uh, I know a lot of uh, you guys out there probably have some opportunities coming down the pipe uh, in the next, uh, you know, half a decade, next five years. There's a lot of uh, flooring business owners that are looking to get rid of their companies or, or retiring and they're looking to, to find somebody to, to take that over. And um, I, like I said earlier, I've been approached by a couple of people who that's happening to them and they just wanted some advice to it. So hopefully this podcast can be a, a resource for those individuals. I know a lot of people, I can't go to convention with these two without them being, you know, inundated with crowds of, of people asking questions like that, you know, wanting to know what you guys are doing. So <laughs> tune into the huddle and get a lot of their, uh, their thoughts and brains and, um, with that, I'm going to cut it out, and uh, I appreciate everybody, and we will see you guys next week. All right. See ya. Thanks, Dan. Okay. Thank you. Good day. All Thank right. you, everyone. All right. See you.